announcement I will make, and that is your pastor is getting old, and so this morning we did not sing um, 449 because I went down on my page and we're singing 83 this afternoon. But I'm not going to switch on Julie. Julie, I don't want to watch Julie fall over there saying, we're singing what? Um, so we're going to sing 83 again later in this service. But uh, no one corrected me, and that's a good thing. Maybe you're having pity on this old pastor, and uh, I appreciate that. But anyway, let me also just make mention, I mentioned Wednesday night that they were going to induce Katie on Friday evening, and um, I've not heard anything. Tim and Katie Kahn are the young couple in Louisville, and um, I've not heard anything from them. So I don't have any news for you, so just... As you think about them, as far as I know, they induced her Friday evening, but we will wait to hear. So we have that. Well, now take uh, your hymns of grace and turn to 23, number 23 in the hymns of grace, and begin our worship of God with this hymn together. Let's stand together as we sing.
Uh, we are at Proverbs chapter 17 this week as a, in our journey through the Old Testament. And I mentioned last week that we there are very distinct categories that uh, we could place these in. Some are easier to categorize than others, and I'm going to attempt to read them uh, topically, um, if I may, uh, this week. It may help us to pay closer attention because you'll have to dart your eyes up and down. I'll try to remember to announce the verse before I read it. But there are uh, several categories. Uh, My first category is the things aren't great, but they could be worse category. The Proverbs give us these um, comparisons, and that is in verse 1, better is a dry morsel and tranquility with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Then there's the more somewhat humorous. God does have a sense of humor, uh, I believe, in verse 12. And that category is the, the worst thing that could happen is actually better than what is happening to me now. That's verse 12. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. The ones I couldn't place in a category, I'll give you those next. We'll call it miscellaneous. Verse 2, a slave who acts insightfully will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share in the inheritance among the brothers. Uh, That could be a a workplace uh, category. Uh, I've actually heard stories like this of wise servants uh, displacing the son who is uh, unruly. Verse 8, a bribe is a charm in the eyes of its owner. Wherever he turns, it prospers. can't tell you that I understand that one. It might go in the uh, civil uh, responsibility category, too. A lot of bribery goes on in government. Verse 13, he who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Verse 22, a glad heart is good medicine but a broken spirit dries the bones. That one probably I should have put under heart religion. It talks about our heart and our spirit. Proverbs are scattered with theology uh, lessons. Uh, Verse 3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but Yahweh tests the hearts. If you uh, have a hard copy. You can jump back to verse 16 of chapter 16. Again, we have the silver and gold uh, metaphors there in, in re- regard to God. It's interesting how God's word, he, he, he teaches us by little and by little, uh, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You might be familiar uh, with those words. And it's like as you teach a youngster mathematics. You teach him the uh, addition first, well, the numbers first, then addition. But as you move further on and start teaching in multiplication, you sprinkle uh, addition problems back in with it. So you bring his mind uh, back to previous things. And that's what we see here in the book of Proverbs, uh, I believe. Your, your mind jumps back. Oh, yeah, I've heard uh, this before. So... Um, Then the main topic, or the most frequent topic in this chapter, happens to be our series that Calvin is taking us through on 
on the use of the tongue. Verse 4, an evildoer gives heed to lips of wickedness. A liar gives ear to a destructive tongue. Verse 5, he who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at disaster will not go unpunished. So there's, there's also a heart sin there, being glad in your heart at someone's misfortunes. Verse 7, excellent lips are not fitting for a wicked fool, even less are lying lips for a nobleman. Verse 9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close companions. I think that might be close to our topic today as well. Verse 10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who understands than a hundred blows into a fool. Verse 11, a rebellious man seeks only evil, so a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the dispute before it breaks out. We pull the plug on a dam and the whole thing lets loose. That's what strife is like when it begins. Verse 19, he who loves transgression loves quarreling, He who makes his doorway high seeks destruction. Verse 20, he who has a crooked heart finds no good, and he who is perverted in his tongue falls into evil. Um, The Lord uh, spoke of out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. He was not teaching us something new, was he? The Proverbs uh, are full of those things. Parallels, our hearts and our mouth (laughs) work together. Verse 27, he who holds back his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of discernment. I'm not sure that word cool was a a good choice of words, at least not for my uh, generation. This is the uh, Legacy Standard Bible, by the way, um, because of the meaning that it has to us. But a a cool means uh, even... Uh, tempered spirit. He's a man of discernment. Verse 28, even an ignorant fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered understanding. I think Abraham Lincoln had a similar quote to that. Some of you might remember. Uh, That's the category of the use of the tongue. For um, another category I pulled out was civil righteousness. Uh, Verse 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to Yahweh. A wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to thrust aside the paths of justice. It is also not good to punish the righteous, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. And these verses remind us who these Proverbs were written to originally. They were king's sons. They were magistrate-type people. And uh, they certainly have application uh, to us uh, as citizens, but more as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, how we behave ourselves. We are, as it were, a kingdom uh, within a kingdom, aren't we? Heart religion. Why is there a price in the hand of verse 16? 
sorry. <laughs> this is my life verse almost. It comes to me quite frequently as I begin to read the word. God taps me on the shoulder. Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to acquire wisdom when he has no heart for it or no heart of wisdom? Why are you here? You know, are you just here to get it over with and go through the motions? Uh, are you are you going to do it? Are you here because you want to learn how to live? You know, so true friendship, verse seventeen, and I'm including eighteen as well. Now, there's there's a caveat, there's a limit <laughs> to how far you want to go. Uh, if you want to remain a true friend, perhaps a friend loves, verse 17, at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. But verse 18 says, a man lacking a heart of wisdom strikes his hand in pledge and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbors. He stands uh, as a guarantee of his neighbor's debt. And I always read these in the King James originally, and that word neighbor that I have there in verse 18 is actually friend, and that's how I, I, I tied those uh, two verses together. Don't go overboard trying to be a friend and jeopardizing yourself financially. And I realize there, <laughs> there's a million situations where that, there might be a caveat to that as well. Uh, family matters, verse 6, grandchildren are the crown of old men. I think many can relate to that. And the beauty of sons is their fathers. Remember that, Dad. Uh, make your son proud of you. Verse 21, he who begets a fool does so to his grief, and the father of a wicked fool is not glad in for some depressing times. Verse 25, a foolish son is a vexation to his father and bitterness to her who gave birth to him. And I think I've covered them all except verse 24. Uh, to me, I'm saving the best for last. This is, we had a theology verse, verse 3. Here we have a Christology verse. I'll tell you what I mean in a second. Wisdom is in the presence of the one who understands, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. And this is where it first occurred to me that wisdom and eyes here are placed in parallel. And so the eyes are in biblical uh, imagery uh, refer to wisdom. And in Revelation 4, verse 6, there is are these living creatures, these enigmatic <laughs> creatures, to me. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And so this, this sounds kind of like strange language. But what the Bible is telling us is that these are exceeding wise creatures. But... And this is the Christological imagery. Verse 6 of chapter 5 says, Then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the horns 
our strength and the eyes our wisdom. That is our, our Savior, exceedingly strong and exceeding wise. We'll take your Trinity hymn books and we'll sing 83 again. We praise thee, O God. Number 83, Redeemer, Creator. Stand together as we sing. And take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I've read this in your hearing before, but I want to use it as a springboard with regard to our time together this afternoon. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren knowing that as such we will be incurred a stricter, stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, and we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the incognition of the pilot desires. Also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See, the great forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is fire 
the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and full of deadly poison. We'll stop our reading there. The Word of God makes it clear that there's a member of our body that is as dangerous as an uncontrollable fire. We are told that there is this part of the body in which it is easier to tame a wild beast than it is to tame that part of the body. Even it's easier to tame a a wild bird or a creature of the sea than it is to tame that member of our body. And that member is our tongue, our speech, our words. And so we've taken up this topic because it is an important topic. I'm sure there are some who would say, oh, Pastor, you ought to use this time to speak about justification or or sanctification or adoption or eschatology or something like that, some big theological word. Wouldn't we be better off to spend time thinking about those things? But even as Mr. Middleton has brought before us here in the book of Proverbs, the Bible has a lot to say about our tongues and the use of them. And so we have considered together the importance of this topic. And then we began looking at the sins of the tongue. And so far we've considered the area of lying and what God's Word has to say about that. We've considered the area of unwholesome speech. It's the idea of that which is rotten uh, speech that we might use. And we've looked at that. And then last week we considered together abusive speech. That is, speech that is used as a sword that is meant to pierce and cut and cause pain and hurt. It's abusive speech that we find, we noticed last, last week, particularly in the home. We speak to our families in ways that we, maybe we wouldn't talk to anybody else. If anybody else heard us speak that way, they'd be shocked. But in our homes, we use this speech, which is for cutting and, and for pain. We do use it in society as well. There are times when we're driving down the street and someone cuts us off, and, and we use that abusive speech. And then we talked about the church. Even in the church, abusive speech can be used. Now, this afternoon, in, in the brief time that we have together, I, I want you to consider another sin of the tongue and consider it with me. And it's the sin of gossip, meddling, tail-bearing, being a busy Do I need to say more? You have the idea? So first thing I want to do is I want to look at this sin from the Scriptures and show you that it is wicked, it is a sin, and it is evil. So there are three passages I want you to look at me, work with me at. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
First Thessalonians, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. A command is given to us, you'll notice in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the traditions which you have received from us. So there is that simple command. He says we're to keep away. We're not to end up in close fellowship with an unruly brother who is not living as the Word of God would dictate us to live. He, he's marked out as an unruly man. He, he's not living in obedience. And you're to stay away from him. Then Paul goes on to say something about what this man's life looks like. What it looks like. It says there in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. So you can identify this guy because he is idle. He's lazy. He is not working. And that very reality has a companion. Look at verse 11. For we hear that some among you are living an undisciplined life, doing no work and acting as busybodies. They're not working. Their companion is laziness. And with their laziness, they've become, the, the term, busy bodies. William Hendrickson says, they are busy workers. I'm sorry, they are not busy workers. They are busy bodies. Okay? They're not busy workers. They're busy bodies. They, they, they're not busy with their hands. But they are busy, and they busy themselves with their tongues. They like wagging the tongue and speaking about others and being curious about others, and they're in everybody's business. Business that they have no legitimate reason for being. They are busy bodies. These are unruly people. These are ones who are not living in obedience to God. John Gill says this, They work not at all at their own business, yet are very busy in other men's matters. They have, affair, they have the affairs of the kingdom and cities and towns and neighborhoods and churches and families upon their hands, which they thrust themselves into and intermingle with 
thoughts that they have no business at all with them. These wander from house to house and curiously inquire into the personal and family affairs. They are tattlers, full of babble and talk, and like the Athenians, spend all their time in telling or hearing new things. And they also speak things which they should not. They carry tales from one to another and privately whisper things to the disadvantage of their fellow creatures and Christians and backbiting and slandering them. These are the pests of the nations and neighborhoods, the plagues of the churches, and the scandal of human nature. I think he says it well. What more do I need to say? They love to hear news, news, and then they love to spread that news, and then they are slandering people. They tell, tell they're, they're tale bearers. They go around speaking to others, and I like that. They're the pests of the nations and the neighborhoods, the plagues of the churches, and the scandals of human nature. Very flattering, isn't it? It's the sin of gossip and tale-bearing. Look, look at another text. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here, Timothy is dealing with the church and their care for the widows. And we find in these opening verses some general instruction for all widows. And then in verse 9, there is apparently some special group of widows that are placed on some type of list. A widow, verse 9, is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation of good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, and if she washes the saints' feet, and if she assists those in distress, and if she devotes herself to every good work. So here's the direction given as to who's going to be on that special list. But then there are some who are going to be refused. Verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ and they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have, because they have set aside their privileges, their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle and they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Here are these women who are not to be put on the list. They're not to be put on the list because they are younger widows. They could remarry, and, 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 but they, there are some who have the reputation of being idle. Isn't it interesting that in both cases... 
When one has trouble with his tongue, it's usually on the occasion of his idleness. He has nothing else to do. And so they begin to speak. And they use words that are not proper. Right? It says, refuse these widows. They speak things that are not proper. They're gossip. They're tattlers. They're busybody. I think this is the only time this word is used in the Scriptures as a noun. And it's the idea of meddling into things that has nothing to do with you. It has not, you have, it's nothing to do with you. And yet, you give yourself to it. The gossips and busybodies, and they say things that they ought not to speak of. Yeah, but, but it's good stuff. Yeah, if you only knew this. I mean, this, this, is, this is really juicy. No. No. And then one other text of Scripture. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Let's get something of the context in which this comes to us. There, There in verse 12, Peter warns, gives a warning, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, don't be surprised as though it was a strange thing that is happening to you. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to go through some difficulties. Don't be surprised at that. But then he goes on and gives some instruction concerning that. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. You're going to suffer, but you're going to suffer for Christ's sake. And, and when you suffer for Christ, be rejoicing because there's a better day coming. And if you are reviled, verse 14, in the name of Christ you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And that there is suffering that you ought to rejoice in. There, there's reviling. And that reviling is the idea of, uh, of what we looked at last week. Abusive speech used against you that may hurt. But, but in the midst of going through that, you can be blessed. Right? So be ready for that. However... <laughs> Make sure that none of you suffer because you're just a troublesome meddler. A troublesome meddler. I believe, again, this is the only time that this word is found in the Scriptures. In fact, some commentators believe 
that it's a word that Peter made up because he didn't know any other way of how to express this. It's, it's a compound word. It, it, it's, the, it's the word meaning using that which belongs to another. And the other word is looking over. He put these two terms together. Using that which belongs to another and looking over. So what he's trying to get across here, there are some who are looking over the things of another. And apparently there wasn't a real term that he could use that would express that. So he made up this term. In fact, even in secular writings, this term is hardly ever found. So you know how sometimes you need to find a word, but you can't find the right word, so you make one up? I've done that a few times. All right. You won't find it in the dictionary, but it fits, so we're going to use it. And maybe that's what Peter's doing here. There are some of you who are looking over things that belong to somebody else that you've got no business in. This is his idea. Someone has said, the term may be understood to mean the unfaithful guardian of goods committed to him. Peter arranged his terms in descending order of guilt. The term may be designated an activity that was a definite social nuisance, one that irritated, aroused strong displeasure, and open hostility. If that is correct, then the term may well refer to the unwarranted intrusion into the affairs of others. The unwarranted intrusion into the affairs of others. Someone who's looking over the affairs of somebody else in which he has no legitimate stake or ought to be concerned about such. Right? That's the idea. That's the sin of the tongue that I'm simply referring to as gossip, meddling, tail-bearing, busybodies, right? a social nuisance right? in our culture. And so here are some of the ideas that it's going to... Let me give you a few other verses. We won't take time to look them up, but... You can look them up on your own sometime. Leviticus 19 and verse 16. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. Proverbs 18, 8. Proverbs 20, 19. Proverbs 26, 20. Right? The tongue. The tongue is an issue in the book of Proverbs. And there are some of those things that it say in the book of Proverbs about the tongue. I just love. A fool that keeps silent. It's thought to be wise sometimes, right? I love, what was it, Abraham Lincoln says, better thought to be a fool than open my mouth and remove any doubt, right? And we need to learn how to control and tame our tongues. So there are some scripture references that I think, I trust, I have convinced your conscience that such use of the tongue is sin. It is sin. But then, Briefly, let me notice with you the occasions of the sins. And, and there are three displays of the sins I want you to consider with me. 
First of all, there's the occasion when we aggressively seek to inquire about things in the lives of others which is none of our business. When we seek to inquire about things in the life of others that is none of our business. We might refer to this as idle curiosity. Just just curious. You know, I, I noticed that that you guys bought a brand new car. Where in the world did you get money for a brand new car? Maybe none of your business. Why why do you need to know that? Why why is that important? So so you you guys are planning to get another house? Wow. Why are you thinking about moving? Why why are you moving? What's going on? Did did you lose the other house? What happened? Are you guys planning to have children? And if so, when? You're pregnant again? What's up with that? How many children are you going to have? You, 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 know, you know who I'm talking about, right? I mean, you don't know who I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I hope maybe you do know who I'm talking about. I don't know. All right? It's when you aggressively seek to inquire about things which are really none of your business. Now, you might have a concern, and you could ask some questions. And, and maybe, maybe they've asked for your counsel, and in order to give them wise their times and trying to give counsel, I, I need some information. All right? But when I get the information, and I'll get to that in a minute, it dies with me. All right? There are things that I've told you before that I'll go to my grave with, that nobody else knows about. But I don't go looking for it. If, if I'm trying to help someone and be a counselor to them, there are times when those questions need to be asked. The second occasion is this. The occasion when we discuss with others about another person. Right? The first one is when we inquire from a person Information that's none of our business. The second one is when we discuss with others about another person. Why do you think they have so many children? Why do you think they have no children? Where do you think they got the money from to buy that new car? How in the world could they go on vacation with his income? So you talk, but you talk to other people about another person. Why are you discussing with another person the choices that someone else has made? Do you think, do you think it's helpful? Do you think it's helpful if I, you know, if, if Dan White's getting a brand new car and I go to Carlos and say, hey, what do you think Dan came up with that money? 
get that car. Right? What do you think about that? Why? that that's, that's very beneficial, isn't it? Puts thoughts in Carlos's ear. Well, maybe Dan doesn't have the money. Where did he get the money? And what good does that? Listen, if you think somebody's in sin, you need to go to them privately. You need to go to them humbly. But you don't need to go to them as a detective. I need to know all the details. Be careful that you're not talking to others about another person that that information is not needed or helpful. And then thirdly, the occasion when we pass on to others information about people and events when there's no necessity to do so. Right? Almost goes hand in hand with what we previously said, except the second one is when we just talk about people without talking to them. Now I've talked to them and I've gathered information and I tell other people, but they really don't need to know. Many times that information is given to someone out of a desire to be helped. So, so I go to Brother Ken and I say, Brother Ken, I, I'm dealing with this issue and so forth and so on. And, and it's because I want Ken's help. I want to be accountable. I, I, want him, I want to be transparent with him and give him that accountability. And this doesn't happen. My Sunday school class would say, did he really do that? No, it doesn't. I use this as an example. All right, But Brother Ken goes over and talks to Brother Dale and said, you know, Pastor Walden came to me and he told me this is going on in his life. Did you know that? But I didn't tell him so he could tell everybody else. When someone comes to us transparent about some things and they believe they can trust what we put in their head, in in their mouths, we need to be careful with what we do with that and who we talk to about that. Often those conversations start out with, have you heard? Did you ever hear that? Did you know? And if somebody ever comes to us and says, did you know? You know how we should respond? No. Do I need to? Is it profitable? Does it serve a good purpose? Is it going to be useful? And if you start out with that, usually by that time, the person gets the hint and says, okay, 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 I'm not going to tell you. Okay, good. And so we've got to be careful that, number one, we don't try to get information that's really none of our business, but we just, we're just curious. We want to know, you know. So I saw so-and-so talking to Pastor Walden, you know, privately. In fact, they went to the back room. I wonder what's going on in that family, huh? What do you think? When at the end of the day, they wanted to tell me they've got some radishes, an overflow with radishes, and they wanted me to have some if I want some, and we just happened to be in the back room talking about it. Right. Got to be careful what you say and what you're curious about and, and how you try to get information. We need to ask if what you're telling me is true, is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it something I absolutely need to know? So you've got to be careful. 
I think it was Pastor Martin that refers to this type of talk as tabloid words. Tabloid words. You know what a tabloid is, right? You check out of the grocery store and there's those magazines, you know, some celebrity has done this or that and and so forth, and everybody's eye catches on it. And if you ever watch somebody buy, a lot of times if I watch somebody buy those, it's almost like they're buying some secret thing. They sort of pull it out of the shelf and put it on the conveyor belt. And, you know, hurry up, get it in the sack, get it in the sack. Don't want anybody else to see me buying this. But I've got to hear the latest gossip. I've got to know. I've got to listen. I want to hear. And we can do the same thing with our words. Our words can become tabloids which simply spreads gossip, which is not necessary, it's not kind, it's not good, and people don't need to know. So how do we deal with this sin? How do we deal with it? Well, here there are, again, three things I set before you. First of all, you need to confess it is sin. You need to confess it is sin. You do not try to make excuses for it. Well, you know, I was an innocent party. I was sitting there, and they just said, hey, did you know? And, and they started in, and I found out that Susie was doing this and that, and on Friday night this was. But I, I was just listening. Well, stop listening. It is sin. Secondly, take steps to mortify that sin. Take steps to mortify that sin. Memorize some of these verses of Scripture. Hide them in your heart that you won't sin against God. Take concrete steps. If you know that there's a certain place and a certain way and a certain person that this seems to have. If I'm talking to so-and-so, it seems to just come out and, and realize that and say, I've got to take steps to stop that. If it happens on the phone, do it. I mean, we live in a culture. I was thinking about this. We live in a culture when these things are so rapid. You know, I, I can pick up my phone and I can tell you the gossip about different people, different places. It's just as easy as just a few clicks here and there. People don't even know. Some Hollywood star that's done something, but somebody has to broadcast it as though I'm sitting on the edge of my seat just because, I, you know, I tell people all the time, yes, I'm on Facebook, but I have very few friends. All right? I don't have many friends. In fact, my wife's sitting here, she can tell you, if someone requests me to be their friend, I usually look at her and say, I, I don't need another friend. Not in this way. Not in this way. I don't need to know everything that goes on in your life. I don't need to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. I hope you did, but I don't need to know that. So I have purposely very few friends. Right? And if, you're, if I'm your friend, you'll, you'll probably know. You get very little information from me. <laughs> and if you do, it's probably because I've asked one of my kids or my wife, how do I say this? Because I don't know how to do all that stuff. We just got to be careful. We need to, we need to take steps to mortify, put to death that sin. And then, thirdly, we need to cultivate the contrary discipline. We need to ask God to help us to use our tongues, use our words to be kind, to be helpful, to be beneficial, to edify. Lord, help me to do that with my tongue.
put a guard over my lips and help my words not to be a flame of fire, but help my words to be a bomb, a, a medication that's beneficial for those to whom I speak. So there we have the sin of gossip and tailbearing and being a meddler and a busybody. May God help us. May God help us to take care of how we speak that our speech would be to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for our sins. We have been guilty of perhaps using our tongues in ways that they ought not to be used. Father, we pray that You would help us to so guard our speech, knowing that our Heavenly Father hears everything we say, that He would be well pleased. And so, Father, we pray that the indication of our hearts would be that which is good and right and holy, which is manifested with what comes out of our mouths. Help us, we pray. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we close our time together today, let's take the Trinity Hymn Book. Trinity Hymn Book, turning to 415. God, be merciful to me. On Thy grace I rest my plea. What a better thing to end on when we think about these things. God, be merciful. Help me to repent and do that which is right. 415, Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.